Hello, welcome to this episode of From God to Us, the podcast where we study biblical subjects, biblical studies, in order to answer questions about God, about the Bible, about people, about life, and even cultural issues with an application for daily living. Today, we're in our fifth study of the subject, How We Got the Bible. Before I enter into this subject today, I want to speak to the relevance of this issue, particularly in today's world and in our country today where there's so many things going on. Why are you doing a series on how we got the Bible? Well, first, when I planned this series a couple of years ago, this was one of the first episodes I wanted to deal with because it lays the foundation for why we can believe and trust in the Bible itself. If we're going to look at answers to life's questions from the Bible, then we need to know that it is reliable. Also, regardless of what age we live in and what time we live in, I believe that the Bible addresses all subjects from a godly point of view. And if this is true, then we need to know that the Bible is reliable. We need to have confidence in it. And for Christians and for believers and followers of Christ who claim that the Bible is the Word of God, and yet that belief is challenged by other people, we need to be able to answer that for them in a loving manner, but we also need to answer it for ourselves so that we can maintain our confidence in the reliability of the Bible. With that in mind, I would like to proceed into our study for today. We have been looking at the background of the Bible. We looked at the authority of the Bible. We looked at how do we know which books belong in the Bible. We call it the canon of Scripture, the canon of the Old Testament, and the canon of the New Testament. Today, we're going to look at books that have not been accepted as Scripture, those books that some people have said are authoritative or a message from God, but now we reject as part of the Bible the authoritative Word of God. And I think this is important because many times people will say things to the effect of, gee, wouldn't you like to include all the books of the Bible? Wouldn't you like to include all the books that are from God? And so when we have this collection of books that people tend to say are part of the Bible that we maybe exclude, we need to know why we do not count these books as Scripture. And so we're going to look at that today in both the Old Testament and in the New Testament. There are some important terms that I have in your notes. Again, you can download the notes for this this session. It will be particularly important because there are a number of books that we're going to talk about, but I won't mention every single one of them, and you'll need your notes to see what some of these books are that are not included in the Bible. As we move into this session, there are some important terms to think about. The Hamalagumina which is a group of books that we believe is accepted by all. It means to speak as one. And so we refer to most of the books of the Bible in in this category. The anti-legumina, which are books that are disputed by some. And we'll talk about some of the disputed books and whether or not they were accepted or rejected. There are the pseudepigrapha writings, which we believe these are false writings, books that are rejected by the majority of people. And then the apocrypha, which we'll talk about that as well. You may have heard that term, books that are accepted by some. So let's look at the Old Testament and the Old Testament pseudepigrapha. So there's a group of books that are written 
from a Hebrew point of view and which are included in, in some of the Hebrew writings, but are not included in the Bible, that which is considered Scripture. And there are several reasons why we reject these books. First of all, generally they contain some extremes or inaccuracies in Jewish religious activity. In other words, things that don't really belong in the normal Jewish way of doing things, extremes. And so we see those things that don't abide by the law, and therefore those would not be considered biblical or from the Lord. There are some contain historical errors. If something is absolute historical error, then that would not obviously be from God. Some contain heresy, that is, things that are directly opposed to the law and the truth that we find in the Old Testament. For some, the author and genuineness of the book cannot be verified. If there is no history of who wrote this book or the person who wrote it is held in question, then that book is obviously going to be rejected. They contain false claims about divine authority. They claim to be a prophet of God, but then the test for a prophet proves that they weren't actually a prophet of God. And finally, the most important thing is that they do not fulfill the standards of canonicity. If you go back to a previous episode where we talked about the canon of the Old Testament, I listed for you all the different standards that are used to judge whether or not a book is part of the canon. Again, if you remember, we we said that the canon was determined by God. It is up to the Israel and the church to recognize the canon. And so we have standards by which we determine which books we believe to be authoritative and God's message. A few of the books I have uh, listed here for you. And again, we're not going to describe all these books, but a few most notably, the book of Jubilee that deals something with the year of Jubilee. Uh, there's the book of Adam and Eve, which gives more detail about Adam and Eve. and But we can't verify that this is actually true stories about Adam and Eve. There's the books of First and Second Enoch. Enoch was the man who walked so close with God that God just took him to be with him. There's no record of his death. God just took him up to be with him. And it'd be interesting to know what this man's life was like. And so there are two books attributed to him. But we cannot verify that these books were really written about or by Enoch himself. Other books, The Assumption of Moses, that talks more in detail about the life of Moses. But again, we cannot verify that these writings are true. Third and fourth Maccabees, which we'll talk about first and second Maccabees. But again, these books are not reliable. They're the Psalms of Solomon. Most of the Psalms were written by David and a few other people. But there's this book of the Psalms of Solomon. But again, we cannot verify that these were really written by Solomon or that they're scripture. And then there's Psalm 151. You know, in your Bible, we have 150 Psalms. There's a Psalm 151. But again, we cannot verify that this is scripture. So there's a whole list of these books in your notes that you may want to look at. Again, remember that the test for canonicity was applied to each of these and they fall short of that standard. Therefore, they are not included in the Bible. Of more interest for some of you is that which is called the Apocrypha. The word means hidden or doubtful or can mean something hard to understand. The Apocrypha is a group of books that were written mostly between the year 200 and 100 B.C. It was in that gap between the Old and New Testaments. The last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, was written around 400 B.C., 
And then we get into the New Testament times when Jesus was born and the books written about Jesus's life and then the books of the apostles. So there was this period of time for, as far as we know, no scripture was written. And these books were written in that time. Sometimes people call it the era of silence or the time of silence. It's interesting to know that the original King James Bible, the translation, the original translation of the King James Bible had the Apocrypha. There was the Old Testament, there was the Apocrypha, and then there was the New Testament. And so that was a part of the King James Bible. It actually was a, a part in a, of the official, the authoritative King James Bible that was given authority by the Church of England. It was a part of the King James Bible until about 1885. So for over 250 years, the official version of the King James Bible included the Apocrypha. So some may wonder, why do we not accept it? Some Bibles mix them in with the Old Testament. I believe the Catholic Bible is an example of this, where many of these books are, are part of actually the Old Testament rather than a separate section. But some of these books actually have some helpful historical information, particularly the Maccabees. But some contain mythical figures and creatures, which cause us to doubt their authenticity. And many of them, the authors, cannot be identified. So here are some reasons why we reject the apocryphal books. First of all, the New Testament never cites the apocryphal books as inspired or as scripture. In other words, when there's quotes in the New Testament, they're quoted from the Old Testament, but the Apocrypha is never quoted. Those books are never quoted as authoritative as supporting the New Testament. And although the Septuagint, now the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, although the Septuagint contained the Apocrypha, it is not our standard for canonicity. In other words, we use the Septuagint sometimes when trying to understand language and understand the Greek translation of the Hebrew, but the Septuagint is not our standard for canonicity. Jesus and the New Testament writers quoted most often from the Septuagint, yet they never once quoted from any of the books of the Apocrypha. In other words, the books they quoted from are what we understand to be our Old Testament. Many of the early church fathers spoke against the Apocrypha. Those that first generation or so of church leaders after the apostles did not accept the Apocrypha as being scripture. Augustine, who tended to accept these books, admitted that the Jewish canon did not contain the Apocrypha and his reasons for accepting it did not meet the other tests of canonicity. In all the writings of the Dead Sea Scroll, there is no evidence that the apocryphal books were considered scripture. So there's no, nothing in all these writings or in the Dead Sea Scrolls that would lead us to accept them as scripture. None of the apocryphal books meet all the standards of canonicity. There again, we apply the standards of canonicity to these books and they cannot meet those standards. Again, some books contain historical errors, just like the Old Testament pseudepigrapha. The books were not written by prophets. The books were held in doubt throughout the history of Christianity. Even when the King James Bible was written or translated, there were those who questioned the authority of the Apocrypha. So for these reasons, we do not accept the Apocrypha in our Bibles today. At least most people don't. 
Here's a list of some of the books. Again, you have these in your notes. I will not mention each and every one of them, but uh, we'll make reference to some of them. There's the Wisdom of Solomon. This work was composed in Greek by an Alexandrian Jew who impersonated King Solomon. This was in the year 30 BC. So we know it was not written by Solomon himself. Therefore, we cannot accept it as scripture. There was Ecclesiasticus, written in 132 B.C. The author was a Jewish sage named Joshua, who taught young men. But again, it was written much later than the time that Ecclesiastes was written, and therefore uh, there's no reason to accept it as Scripture. There's a number of other books here. We'll skip down to First and Second Maccabees. First Maccabees written around 110 B.C., is generally a reliable historical account of the Jewish people from 175 to 134 B.C., and it talks about the Maccabean Revolt. And it was during this time of the the Maccabees and the fighting that went on that the celebration of Hanukkah came into into existence. It was believed that the oil lamps in the, in the temple were running out of oil and they couldn't continue burning, but miraculously the light continued to burn even without oil. And so the celebration of Hanukkah comes into the Jewish culture during that time. A second Maccabees, written from around 110 to 70 BC and recording history of the Jews, contained is a continuation of first Maccabees, but by a different author, and it is not as historically reliable. Again, there's several other books that are mentioned here. Again, I'm not going to mention every book. You can read these in your notes. Uh, There's some interesting ones here. We skip down to the book of Susanna, which is considered Daniel chapter 13, written somewhere in the 2nd and 3rd century B.C., so obviously wasn't written by Daniel. It's an account of Daniel who comes to the rescue of the virtuous Susanna who was wrongly accused of adultery. A nice story, but again, we cannot verify it as being really true. There's uh, the section Baal and the Dragon, which is sometimes included as Daniel chapter 14, written around 100 B.C. It's composed of two stories. The first tells of a great statue Baal that Daniel later was able to destroy. The second story is the account of Daniel who refuses to worship a dragon. And then Daniel kills the dragon without a sword by feeding the dragon pitch. There again, the reliability of these, the story of these cannot be proven. And therefore, we do not consider these a scripture. They were additions to the book of Daniel, not originally part of the book of Daniel. So we reject those as scripture. So you can read here in your notes the description. There's 15 books here that are part of the Apocrypha. Again, when put to the standard of canonicity, they all fail. Thus, we do not accept them as scripture. Although there may be some helpful historical information, again, they are not the word of God, not scripture. Now we come to the subject of the New Testament pseudepigrapha, those books that are rejected as being authoritative that we do not include. And this is where many people will ask, why do you not include these books? Because there's books that seem to be written by the original apostles. So why don't you accept these books as well? And that's a very good question, and we'll get into that. But these books, their origin, many of them came from the Gnostics, 
who may have had their beginning sometime in the New Testament period, but appeared much later in church history. And they emphasized knowledge, they emphasized the mind, they emphasized special knowledge, even divine mysteries. These type of things were part of the Gnostics, and they were responsible for many of these books. Some of them, some of the books are even called the Gnostic Gospels. The Docetists were responsible for some of these writings, and they held to the deity of Christ but rejected his humanity. And then there were the Monophytes who were ascetics. Ascetics often believed in uh, harming the body because they, they focused so much on the spiritual aspect. They believed that if you could somehow debase or harm the body, that somehow made you more spiritual. They were ascetics and they taught Jesus had one nature, that it was only part human and part divine, like he was 50-50. Again, we do not agree with that uh, in the church today with those uh, assessments. So these were some of the people that were responsible for writing these books. And again, some of them referred to as the Gnostic Gospels. So the reason that we reject these books are similar to why we reject some of the others. Many of them have false claims to be written by the apostles and the associates who were long dead. In other words, these books, many of them were written in the 2nd, 3rd, 4th, and 5th centuries A.D., long after the apostles and their immediate associates had died. It was common sometimes during that era to write a book and give credit to someone else. Therefore, if it's not written by one of the apostles, then we have reason to question its reliability and its authenticity as a book that comes from God. Some can take false claims of the miracles of Jesus' childhood. We can't verify those miracles. We have no really record in the books that we accept as scripture of Jesus' miracles as a child. They contain false claims about certain biblical events. So we look at the the events or historical events, and there's false claims about those. Uh, many contain false teachings and heresies, things that completely contradict the Gospels or con contradict the teachings of the apostles. We're found in these books. Some deny the deity of Christ, that Jesus wasn't really God. He was just a man. They were rejected by the early church fathers. None of them accepted these books as being scripture. And many modern experts reject them as well when we look at them. The bottom line is they do not meet the standards of canonicity that we use to accept the books of the New Testament. Again, you can go back to previous sessions and get those notes or listen to those sessions about the standards for canonicity. Here are some of the books that are included. Again, you can read uh, this list. And there's the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Peter, the Proto-Evangelism of James. I'm not going to read every one of these. Passing of Mary. There's one called the Gospel of Judas. And I want to make particularly reference to this one. Because I saw a history channel about this book. And the, there was a copy of the Gospel of Judas that was discovered that had pretty much deteriorated. And there was this woman who did a marvelous job of reconstructing the book. All the all the pieces were there, but it had deteriorated. And she was able to construct and put back the pages and basically reform this gospel according to Judas. It was dated sometime in the 2nd century AD, which was over 100 years after Judas died. We could not trace it back 
any further than that. So it, there's not good reason to believe it was written by Judas. Now, this woman, in the interview, she believed that she had reclaimed Judas for us. She had found his book and kind of saved Judas for the rest of the world. But in this history series, they talked about the content of the book. And the content of the book is completely opposite what we find in the other four Gospels. Basically, it, it talked about at the Lord's Supper, Jesus sneered and scoffed at his disciples, uh, making fun of them, basically, for their belief or their lack of belief. And we don't find that anywhere in the scriptures that Jesus has this kind of attitude. Uh, the other thing is it tells the story that when Judas left, Jesus goes out with him and tells him what a wonderful disciple he is and how he's going to do this great work of God and, and be accepted into heaven because of the great work he's about to do. In essence, what this gospel does, it makes Judas the hero and basically everybody else falls under him. Now, this is absolutely completely opposed to the other four gospels. So it's not an addition. It's either either this is right or the other four gospels are right. They can't both be correct. And that's what happens in many of these other books. You find things that are completely opposed to what we find in the gospels, the gospels that we accept. And so either... These writings that were written hundreds of years later are correct, or the writings that we can trace back to the time of the actual apostles are correct. And again, you can read through the rest of this list of books and see the titles of these. But again, you, we must remember they do not meet the standards of canonicity, and therefore we do is why we reject them as being Scripture. So there has always been and will continue to be people who attack the reliability and the authority of the Bible. And this is one of the areas they use. These books that were not accepted and they accuse Christians of picking and choosing which books in order to make the Bible say what they want it to say. But we understand that God has determined the canon. We are simply recognizing it by putting into standards that help us determine which books belong in there. It's not a surprise that so many people want to attack the scriptures. Satan does not want the world to accept the Bible. Satan does not want people to accept Christ. He does not want the truth of God's word to get out, and so he will use all types of things to deter people from accepting the Bible as truth. But people who affirm the authority of the Bible, we must be able to lovingly defend its reliability and going through this understanding of the books that are rejected by the church and knowing why they are rejected helps us defend the authority and the reliability of the Bible. Well, with this in mind, uh, this adds to the whole subject of the canon of why we accept certain books and why we reject other books. And I hope this has been helpful. We will begin to get into the transmission of the text itself. Those texts that we do accept as scripture, the Old Testament Hebrew, as well as the New Testament Greek, and how we know those are reliable. We will be doing that in future sessions. But let us close this session in prayer. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for its authority and reliability. We thank you that the Bible speaks powerfully and strongly into our lives and teaches us who you are, what you are like, how we can come to you. It reveals to us the truth of Jesus Christ, 
what he has done and how we can have everlasting life by faith and trust in him. Thank you for your word. Help us to have the confidence in the reliability and the authority of that message that you have given to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.